And I'm not talking just powerlifters, weightlifters. Talk about your mom and your dad and your grandma. Chronic issues because we don't move well anymore. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? I'm very grateful that you've decided to join me for the episode this week. I'm stoked to share this episode. This is a guest who I've been a fan of for a long time and I think is a source of really good high quality information for many trainers out there. My guest on the podcast this week is Dr. Aaron Horshig, who is the founder of Squat University. He's a sports and orthopedic physical therapist, author, and speaker. His specialty lies in Olympic weightlifting, which he competed in for a very long time and now coaches others in the sport of weightlifting. As a physical therapist, Aaron works with athletes of all ages and competitive backgrounds, including weightlifters, powerlifters, crossfitters, and athletes from many major sports leagues. Aaron published his first book called The Squat Bible in 2017 and has been published in numerous professional journals. In his own Olympic weightlifting career, he placed sixth in the 2011 U.S. Nationals. He currently lives in Kansas City and practices at Boost Physical Therapy and Sport Performance, where he helps athletes of all ages and skill levels decrease pain and return to the sports that they love. As I said, his own business is called Squat University, and it is a haven for good information on not only the squat, but also on weightlifting and strength training in general. If you have not checked out his accounts or his blog or his podcast, I highly recommend that you do. We hear about it in this episode, but his approach to training is first move well, and then lift heavy. And I absolutely subscribe to that philosophy as a way to protect yourself from injury and make sure that you really are moving well for the long haul. This conversation is chock full of high quality information. So like I said, I'm pumped to share this one with you guys. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Aaron Horshig. Hi, Aaron. Welcome to the How Do You Feel podcast. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. I love your brand, Squat University. The value that you bring every single time I look at one of your posts is massive. So thank you for that. Um, I'm definitely a big fan. Yeah. The podcast is called How Do You Feel? So I always start off with a, how do you feel question? Mm -hmm. And it's very ironic that I wanted to ask you this because I think your latest post was on this exact topic, but I want to know, how do you feel about sacrificing, sacrificing technique just to get more weight on the bar? 
That's a great question. Now, automatically, when people say sacrifice technique, we automatically assume that it's like a huge drop off. Someone's knees are caving in, someone's back's rounding. Sometimes even the smallest sacrifices can be a bad thing over time, or they can be an acceptable thing given the context. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about uh, the context that most people don't think about, which is what about competition? I deal with a lot of weightlifters, powerlifters, crossfitters. In the heat of competition, your only goal is to get the weight up. And sometimes when you're lifting (laughs) max effort, squats, deadlifts, clean snatches, there's going to be some small technique error breakdowns. That's normal. And Mm -hmm. to a point, the goal is to get the lift up. But the problem occurs is when normal everyday training breaks down and we use an example from competition to justify our problems in technique. So let me give you an example. Um, I'll see issues with people doing a clean and jerk where their knees, when they do the clean, their knees cave in on the ascent Mm -hmm. and they'll, uh, say, um, a justification of, well, Lu Zhao Jun, who's one of the greatest weightlifters of our time, Chinese weightlifter, his knees cave in when he does a clean and jerk. Well, Lu Zhao Jun is trying to win the Olympic gold medal and he's going all out. And if you actually were to watch most of his training, his knees don't cave in. He uses great form 99.9% of the time. And in those instances where he's lifting max effort weights, sometimes small technical breakdowns occur. Mm -hmm. And if we keep them at bay and keep them at 0.1%, we're able to lift heavy for a long, long time and keep our bodies healthy long-term. What happens is that when we justify those technique errors and just say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, so-and-so uses it like that, We invite the idea that it's okay for our technique to continue breaking down and getting worse. Mm -hmm. And we just increase our risk of injury. And really that's where Squat University comes in is my goal is to not only help people reach their max athletic potential and to find out how strong they can truly become, but I want them also to be able to stay strong for the rest of their lives. And that means we have to use as acceptable technique as possible. Now, obviously we're all in a different area of our journey. Some people are just learning. Some people have been lifting for five, 10 years. Some people have been lifting for 40 years. So we're all in a different path. And it's you know not the same thing to say to that beginner, lift with great technique every single time or never even pick up the barbell because then they're gonna get discouraged. Mm. But it's all about trying to find where's that acceptable range where we're playing it safe. We're not pushing into poor technique and we're still having fun. So that's really where, I guess Squat University comes in. So to answer the question, it depends. <laughs> but really, ideally, when it comes to 99.9% of our training, if there's a bad lift, recognize it for what it is, take some weight off the bar or try it one more time and see if you can get it better. And if you mm-hmm. can, it's time to strip down the weight and try to do a weight that you can with good technique. And then over time, you can build up technique quality and lift heavy at the same time. And that's where the magic happens. I love it. It depends. It's always the answer in health and fitness, isn't it? (laughs) It it really is. But then really it has to just follow up with context because that's the thing is sometimes we ask questions and it depends is the answer because we just have to follow it up and say, Hey, here's when it is okay. And here's when it's not okay. I mean, if that athlete on the competition platform I'm like, Hey, go, go for it, go for it. You know? And if the knee caves in a slight bit, Hey, we're trying to get that weight up, but here's the deal. If you are training well with those 99% of your other lifts in training, you will perform like that as well. 
Mm. So the way in which people always say practice makes permanent, no practice makes, or practice doesn't make perfect practice makes permanent. You teach your body how to move that way so that when you get heavier and heavier, if there's a technical error, you're probably letting those technique errors happen at lighter weights. The weight is just amplifying how bad that technique error is. That's a really good point. That makes total sense. So obviously it's a spectrum, right? As you're saying, there's no black and white of now you've crossed the line. That means that you're having, you're lifting with bad technique. So what kind of allowances would you allow? Like, let's use you as an example. If you are training Mm -hmm. and you're doing a heavy lift, what sorts of allowances would you allow in your technique? And what would you say is definitely not okay for training? That's a good question. I think it sort of depends on what area of the body you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, uh, a clean, uh, there's often times where, because the clean is so quick, as soon as you get out of the bottom, sometimes you'll see the knees waver just a little bit and I'm okay with a little bit of waver. Mm-hmm. The, the big thing to understand is that, again, it's a spectrum and a little bit of waver is going to be that acceptable technique where we see it for what it is. We know we need to try to get better and and make it closer to perfect, but it's not poor. And you'll see those examples of poor knee cave where people's knees, the vertical part of the knee, if it passes your big toe, that means it's in a a valgus knee collapse. That's not acceptable. Yeah. And I mean, it, what happens is too often we cloud our judgment to think that the weight on the bar justifies the type of lifting that we're doing. And sure, you can get by with it when you're a young athlete. Injuries don't happen overnight. It's long-term where the ramifications come into play. Um, For example, uh, let's talk about the back. The back should not move as you deadlift, as you pull the bar from the ground. So if you're taking a video of yourself, and as as you're lifting the bar from the ground, if you see that back go from a flat position, and it's moving, 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 that's too much weight. You're Mm -hmm. not properly bracing because here's the deal. If you actually look at the research, you'll see that there is a small amount of movement that takes place at the lumbar spine during a squat, during a deadlift, a very, very small amount of movement. But if you can actually visualize it, it's a lot of movement. (laughs) So your back should not move whenever you're deadlifting. That's another thing. So again, it's sort of a case by case basis. And it depends on if the person's in pain, if they're getting out of pain, if they're a pain-free athlete looking for performance, uh, we're, we're always justifying and, or not justifying, we're always trying to view, document, see what we find and see how we can adjust and get one step closer. Um, and the best way to do that, set up a video camera, use your phone, always watch yourself. That's the one thing, become your own best coach. I tell every single athlete, you have to view your, your lifts just so you can watch yourself and see where you need to improve. I love that. I think that video feedback, especially for yourself, can be extremely powerful. I use it personally all the time. It's interesting. There seems to be kind of a storyline with lifters. And you can tell me if you relate to this or not. But it seems like when you're young, you get really excited about training and very driven by the number. Mm -hmm. very excited about doing as heavy of lifts as you can. And you're probably sacrificing some technique to get those numbers up. Then what happens after a couple of years of lifting with not so great technique, you get injured. 
Then you have to do this relearning process where you challenge all of these beliefs that you've had about, I need to be lifting this much weight for this many workouts. You realize that actually you've put yourself into pain and you're going to have to rehab whatever it is that's in pain. And then you relearn how to train with a completely different mindset. Is that kind of a storyline that you can personally relate to? Or I'm sure, I'm sure you see it all the time with clients. I see it all the times with clients and I've lived it (laughs) many times. So uh, what most people uh, don't know if they've not followed Squat University for some time, I have been a competitive weightlifter since 2005. Uh, Before that, football, baseball, every single sport you could think of. And then I got into weightlifting full-time, started competing, you know, as much as I could. I loved it, dove in headfirst. And just like any other weightlifter out there, powerlifter, crossfitter, strongman, I've dealt with every single injury underneath the sun. And in my own frustrations, I've had to learn how to change things up and become that much more efficient. They always say hindsight's 2020. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because it's not until you have the injury that you can look back and go, oh, well, yeah, I probably should have tried to correct my hip shift when I first started. You know, someone told me, hey, your, your hips are shifting when you're squatting. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll try to fix it. I'll try to fix it. And then, oh, now my hip hurts. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, now my back hurts. Well, maybe if I would have corrected that at the start or, you know, eventually things start aching and your lifts aren't going up and up and you're like, oh, what am I doing wrong? And then you, you learn from someone who's older and they go, Hey, you're lifting heavy five days a week and you're not doing any like back off technique days, not just stop lifting, but just maybe take two of those days and make them a little bit lighter, but with like a technique emphasis and power and speed. And then all of a sudden by lifting less, you end up lifting more. And that was a big thing. So here's an example in my own life. I got out of grad school, graduated with my doctorate, started working full-time in Kansas City. And at that time, I was in the last couple years of my lifting career. I ended up sort of my own retirement, not that I'm a professional athlete, but (laughs) I stopped competing in weightlifting in 2016 just because working a 40-hour work week, seeing patients, and then trying to run my own side business on top of that is uh, a little bit uh, difficult while also trying to have a relationship. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I would get done with physical therapy or I'd go to, I'd go to work during the day. I would get a lift in during lunch. So I wouldn't eat my lunch during, as most people are doing their notes, I'm off lifting, getting my squats or whatever. And then I would get done with seeing patients at seven at night. I would go and pull a two a day, uh, three or four days a week. And I'd go to a local CrossFit gym and just finish up my workout. Because as an Olympic weightlifter, you don't do hour workouts. Anyone who's listening that's done Olympic weightlifting, your sessions are about two to two and a half hours most of the time, just because most of the time we spend sitting down and resting because we're not CrossFitters. We love our rest breaks. Well, when you have that much training on top of working a full 40-hour work week, being on your feet all the time, it can be a drain on your body that you don't even really realize. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until my wife got in the way, you know, to say, and was like, Hey, you need to pull back on these two a days. Um, And I was able to concentrate my workouts to the one hour timeframe. And then maybe a little bit longer on like a Saturday, Mm -hmm. I became that much more efficient with my training to say, how can I get in the best quality reps in a short amount of time? But in decreasing that workload, my total weight that I was lifting in competition went back up. So most people, you would say, well, you're training less. That's going to hurt your overall, you know, competition, you know, lifts. And really for me, it was better. So sometimes, again, looking back, there are things that uh, you learn along the way 
and then you can try to impart your wisdom upon other younger lifters. And that's really where squat university again comes in because, you know, not only do I help athletes get out of pain that come to me in clinic as patients, but I'm trying to help people in the same way that I have had issues in the past. I know what it feels like to have that back pain spark up and I can't even pick up a barbell to do a clean for a week and a half, two weeks. I know what that nagging patellar tendinopathy feels like and having someone say, we'll just stop lifting so much. And you're like, well, that can't be the answer. There's got to be something better because I've got a competition in 12 weeks, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I know that frustration I've been there, I've done that. And now I'm trying to help you. And yeah, a lot of times it, it is a lesson learned the hard way, unfortunately, but such is life, right? Yeah, 100% for sure. It's interesting. We get into these spirals of thinking that more is always better with so many things in life. And I think it can be, I think it translates to a lot of other things when we realize that it is so much more about quality than quantity. And like you're saying, at times it's even better to sacrifice quantity in order to get that quality up and you, you can see improvements. I think that's a, I think that's a huge and important lesson for people to learn in the gym and outside of the gym for sure. For sure. For sure. Why do you think the squat specifically is a movement pattern that so many people struggle with? Like I would venture to say as a trainer that this is one of the most challenging movement patterns for people. And we know that as humans, we are supposed to be able to squat. So yeah. what's the problem? As a society, we have conceptually rearranged how we view the squat. Mm -hmm. When you tell someone, hey, I'm going to, you know, when do I squat? They automatically picture the gym. They think of a barbell on your back. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, the squat is performed in the gym, but it is first and foremost, a movement pattern. When you look at a baby, the way in which they grow and develop, they crawl, they get to that kneeling position, they squat eventually before they learn to walk. Mm -hmm. So it is a fundamental movement pattern that is ingrained in us as children to learn how to explore the world around us. And then we get older and we find the chair and we learn how to hip hinge to bend over to pick something up. And all of a sudden we stop squatting, especially in what we'd say first world countries. Because if you look all the, you know, all over the world at first world countries, you see people just sitting down, having conversations or preparing food in a deep squat. Yeah. And I hate the idea. People say, well, you know, you shouldn't squat like a baby. That's a bad argument because a baby's head is this much bigger than its torso and it's, you know, body proportions are very different. That, that argument is completely put aside when you go to China and you see a 73-year-old grandma sitting at a bus stop in a deep squat. Yep. Because she has a very different bone structure than a baby, yet she has the ease of being able to still sit into a full depth squat. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things, if you don't use it, you lose it because we have confined ourselves to different modes of movement and we have put the squat in the gym only. So my idea with Squat University early on and why I wrote my first book, The Squat Bible, was basically like, hey, the squat is a movement first ever before it's an exercise. And when you get that back, when you learn to just sit in the deep body weight squat often throughout your day and you get that ease back, mm -hmm. the ability to perform a weighted squat with good technique improves. And it's because you're putting that fundamental building block back into your body's repertoire. So too often, it's just this idea of, of squatting is only done in the gym. 
You know, there's many times when I uh, see a patient that comes to me for hip pain, back pain, you know, any type of issue. And one of the first parts of our evaluation, I just say, get out of your shoes and I want to see how you're moving. Can you mm -hmm. show me a deep squat? And a lot of times they'll be there for like back pain. They'll be like, why do you want to see me squat? Well, it's because I want to see how you move. And I know that one of the fundamental building blocks of movement that you should have the capability to do, the squat is often the one that is most commonly lost. Mm -hmm. And when you lose that ability, I mean, think about all the different components that go into a squat. You need stable feet. You need mobile ankles. You need mobile hips. You need pelvic and core control. You need balance. All those things combine to perform just a basic movement. Yet so many people get these chronic issues. And I'm not talking just powerlifters, weightlifters. Talk about your mom and your dad and your grandma. Chronic issues because we don't move well anymore. We haven't sat in a deep squat in a long time. So your body starts to harden and starts to change its ability to move through full ranges. And then all of a sudden bending over to pick something off the ground becomes that much harder. So I think when we then rearrange conceptually our idea of what a squat is, we put the pieces back together and it completely changes the game. I love that outlook. What do you suggest that people do? Do you recommend that people sit in the bottom of a squat in that rest position yeah. and multiple times throughout their day? Yes. Uh, I think Kelly Starrett came out with it first in 2009, like the very first YouTube video he had, he called it the 10 minute squat test. It basically <laughs> is, can you accumulate throughout the day, 10 minutes in a deep squat? Now to some people who are brand new to fitness, this is like, wow, I, there's no way I could even think about that. So let's grade it. Let's, let's make it a little bit less demanding. You have a backpack with you at school. You have a suitcase with you. Uh, you are next to a banister in your house, grab it, use the weight and squat down. Allow yourself to sit and do a deep squat with a little bit of assistance. Mm -hmm. Try like 20 seconds. And then slowly over time, try like five of those a day, 10 of those a day. And slowly over time, you're going to get the ability just by accumulating time in that deep squat, you're going to see some big changes. Your body's going to become more mobile. Your body's going to feel a little bit better just because you're using it through the full capabilities it should have. So yeah, first it's just spending time in that bottom of the deep squat. It doesn't have to be with a barbell. You don't have to be at the gym. Take your shoes off, get out of your shoes that often have a big pad in the back that are horrible for your ankles and your feet. Let's explore the world like it was uh, to our ancestors, you know, and, and actually move how your body was designed. It is so important, isn't it, to be okay with moving around in your house and making that a normal thing. And yeah. especially with so many of us working from home now, my job has transitioned fully to I work from home. So I have to put movement throughout my day and it can't just happen at the gym, right? It can't just happen when I've gone out specifically to take a walk. Like I've got to be okay with working that into my day. And I think that it's an outlook that is important for more people to embrace if we're going to really start to address some of these issues that we're having with our mobility and our, our ability to get into, into these positions. You spend one hour, two hours in the gym. How many hours are there in a day where you're, you're not at the gym? So you can't possibly counteract everything that you're doing for the, however, other many hours of your day, 22 hours of your day, spending the one or two in the gym. So we've got to start to Think about movement differently, I think, and really just think about it as part of our, our whole day and integrate it in a little bit better. 
I definitely agree. I mean, one hour in the gym does not offset eight hours of sitting your butt on the couch or in the chair at the office. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's talk about anthropometrics a bit. Yeah. Back when I was first learning about training, I remember this was a massive light bulb moment for me and just realizing Mm -hmm. that everyone is built differently and therefore everyone's squat, for example, but really any movement is going to look a little bit different and still be correct for their Mm -hmm. body. Right. Yeah. So when we think about lengths of our limbs and different parts of our body, what are the most important ones when it comes to what your squat will look like? The biggest thing to, to realize is that in order to have a great looking squat, you have to be balanced. And the best way to do that is just to view your squat from the side. So if you were to take a camera and just set it up to the side and then do a squat with your barbell on your back or on your chest, if you're doing a front squat, view where that bar goes. Now, ideally, because there's weight on that bar, it pulls your center of gravity to that one specific area. So we can use that at our, as our like landmark for whether or not your body's in balance. And ideally, that bar should track over the middle of your foot. Now, depending on your level of mobility or your limb lengths, that squat is going to look a little bit different person to person. So -hmm. let's say I have two people who are six feet tall. One person has much longer relative femurs than their torso. So they got a short torso and long legs. That person, in comparison to the other person, is going to have a much more inclined torso because their legs are so much longer their chest is going to have to compensate and lean forward in order to keep that bar over the middle of their foot. Likewise, if someone has a longer torso and shorter femurs, they'll often be more upright in their squat. Mm -hmm. But again, as long as they stay balanced with that bar over their midfoot, that squat is ideal for them at that time in the specific movement that they're doing. So that's a big thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, they'll fight, 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 and they'll say, well, I want that chest to be perfectly upright. And I made a video yesterday, I put it up on Instagram, of this idea of squat therapy. And I've seen some people, and a lot of people contributed to uh, CrossFit, and I'm sure it's not just the CrossFit community who have done this, but they'll jam someone against a wall, toes against the wall, and they'll say squat. And it's almost like a circus trick because sure, some people can get down there depending on their anatomy, but that's not right at all for many people. And it completely negates the idea of balance. Your body weight should be over the middle of your foot. For a lot of people, that means you're going to naturally have an inclined trunk position when you are body weight. And your knees need to be able to go over your toes if you want that upright chest, which means even squatting in front of a wall like that is bad, even if you had an upright chest, because your knees should be smashing against that wall. So again, it's misconceptions on the way in which squats should look in understanding first and foremost, we need to stay balanced with your center of gravity over your midfoot, which when we're body weight is usually around our stomach. And again, we'll change person to person, male versus female, different body types. And then also whenever you're doing a squat barbell, look for that barbell and see if it's tracking over the middle of your foot. And that will let you know whether or not you're in balance or not. Cool. Let's say that someone is doing a barbell squat and their bar is traveling forward, for example. So it's not staying over their midfoot. What are your go-to things that you would look at, maybe assess? And then what would be your go-to fixes if you see something like that? So one of the first things you do is just see if you can do it, fix some cues, because the last thing you want to do is see a problem and be like, ah, drop the weight. Let's do all these assessments. 
First things first, I would just tell them maybe just take off their shoes and try a squat and see if they're balanced. Is your body weight spread over the full tripod? So if you look at your foot, it's shaped like a tripod heel, base of your first toe, base of your fifth toe. And as you squat, you should have your body weight completely spread across that entire foot structure. So contrary to what many people's trainer tell them in the gym, weight in your heels is a bad cue. (laughs) It's weight across your full foot, the full foot jammed into the ground. You should have as much pressure into your toes as you do into your heels. So often we see people shift forward because they're off balance. So sometimes just realigning their balance changes everything right there. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say you try that and they're still falling forward. One of the next things we start from the bottom up. So I often look at ankle mobility because if they're restricted in ankle mobility, their hips won't be able to sink as deep as possible and their chest will compensate because they're going to hit that end range of limitation and their chest will drop forward as compensation. Mm -hmm. So by just improving ankle mobility sometimes, and that may just be two minutes of foam rolling prior to squatting or a little bit of stretching in a deep position that alone may give them access to more range of motion in their ankles in a more upright chest position. Cool. Awesome. I love it. How do you personalize someone's squat stance. So if we're thinking about both squat width and foot turnout, there's also a lot of variability. Like not mm-hmm. everyone is built in a way where they're going to be able to squat with their toes exactly forward, for example. Yeah. So how do you go about personalizing that? Or how would you advise someone find what their ideal squat stance is? Well, the easy answer is to go on YouTube and type in squat university, find the right stance squat for your anatomy, because it's sort of an in-depth explanation. But basically when we look at your hips, there are a couple different variations anatomy wise that can dictate a different stance that is most optimal for squatting. And there's some people who have femoral or uh, acetabular antiversion, meaning that their hip sockets sort of open more forward or retroversion, meaning their hip sockets and femur point more to the sides. Now, what does that do? If your anatomy is a little bit different than textbook normal, which some people do, it will change to where maybe someone who's more antiverted will be, uh, it'll be more natural for them to squat 100% straight forward. If they are retroverted, it'll be much easier to squat with their toes out to the side a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Now, again, this is only one part of the equation because mobility plays a big part too. And those are things that we can actually change. I can't change your anatomy short of surgery that no one wants to have, but and mobility is something that we can change. So I can manipulate your uh, calf tone to allow you to have a little bit more ankle mobility, which then could allow you to have a little bit more straightforward foot squat. So there's many things, parts of the equation that come into play when, it, when we're looking at toe uh, angle, but uh, checking your anatomy can be one insight into whether or not there's a specific way that you may tend to lean. Now, as far as hip width, there's a couple tests out there, some that are better than others. My big thing that I tell people, just try a couple different stance widths. Try a narrow, try shoulder width, try a little bit wider, and find the one that allows you to squat as deep as possible without technique compensation. So without butt wink or without your knees caving in. And everyone's going to be a little bit different, but just trial and error is sometimes one of the best ways to find what width is best for you. Yeah, that makes total sense. I was a dancer for many years and I trained ballet for a long time. And when you're a ballet dancer, you spend a lot of time with your feet pointed out. 
that's, that's pretty much yes. the goal is to get your toes pointed out as much as possible as you do all of your bar exercises. So I feel like that had a big impact on the way that now I squat mm-hmm. with that. Do you, would you describe that as being, I changed my mobility over many years to give me that range of motion and for like neutral feet to not feel good. I obviously didn't just change my hip anatomy. How would you explain what happened there? So I'll say there's two potential possibilities without me doing an evaluation on you. Yeah. <laughs> One, you probably did change your mobility. We would call that a sports specific adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see this in uh, baseball players a lot who develop a little bit more external rotation um, on their dominant side, throwing side. Uh, but two, you said you were a dancer for a long time, correct? I'm yeah. assuming it got to a high level of dancing. Yeah, I was a dancer for like 20 years. Often, often we find that those who make it to a high level in a very specific type of sport um, are genetically predispositioned to do so. So, for example, Mm -hmm. I you don't see many five foot five guys play in the NBA. Right. Right. (laughs) You don't see many Olympic weightlifters who have tight hips that don't allow them to squat past parallel. Yeah. So you also right. won't see many dancers who don't have amazing mobility. Yeah. You know, now, yes, yeah. you do spend a lot of time doing mobility work and a lot of time stretching. I've known some dancers that, I mean, it's amazing, amazing mobility work that they do. But often if you're the ones yeah. that's going to make it to the top, there's probably some anatomy variation that has allowed you also the platform fundamentals to be able to excel as well. And same reason why, you know, you and your very best friend growing up may have both been really, really into dance, but only one of you succeeded to get to that level. And sometimes there's only so much that we can do. And I mean, I deal with that all this time being a weightlifter. I love weightlifting. Uh, Unfortunately, I was not given a body that allowed me to excel as a weightlifter. I mean, I, at max, you did pretty well. I feel (laughs) I I did. Okay. But, uh, you know, I also compare myself to Olympic athletes and stuff like that. I got you. um, You know, we do as much as we can with the body that we're given basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. That's a really, that's a really great point. Um, perhaps that it was more, it's kind of like a chicken and egg question, right? Cause mm-hmm. I trained a certain way that my body wanted to move. And then I yeah. kept feeding into those movement patterns. So, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's again, where sort of the sports specificity comes in. Um, whenever you're looking at like a great athlete, it's like, well, did that athlete get that way? Is it nature versus nurture? Often when we're looking at elite athletes, it's a little both. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah there's, definitely. there's going to, there's going to be some exceptions, there's the person that tried as hard as he could and he got it to the top. But for the large majority, the reason people can excel so much is because they put the hard work behind this genetic gift and they mm-hmm. realized they had it and then they worked their butt off and then it allowed them to get there. No matter how much anyone else tries, unfortunately, they're just not cut out to get there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. We're definitely on the same page. That makes total sense. What would your movement prep entail when you are going in for a heavy squat day? What kind of stuff do you do? Good question. I think it sort of changes here and there, Mm -hmm. depending on how my body's feeling right now. What it's looking like is, um, I'm walking into the gym. I do a little bit, maybe like not even a minute total, uh, band and joint mobilizations on both hips, just sort of open things up. Um, I then let's see here. I do my McGill big three 
only about five of them for about 10 seconds each, just to sort of prime core stability. I do a um, side plank clamshell to get my lateral hips turned on. And then um, I'll sit in a deep goblet squat and sort of open the hips, stretch the ankles, sort of freestyle a little bit. And then uh, get the barbell on my back and start going through uh, my first set of squats with a band around my knees. Um, so really it's maybe 10 minutes and then I'm starting to load and weight up and just go from there. So it's all about warmups, all about sort of what you need as an individual and everyone's going to be a little bit different, but it always is mobility, stability, specific prep. So this would be like sort of like general prep, specific prep, go. Love it. Yeah, definitely. I love that you've got it down to 10 minutes. This is something that I'm working on, on understanding how do I connect how I feel to what I'm about to do and prioritize what I actually need instead of just going through the gamut of like the things that I know, like I could do or know kind of feel good. Right. And I think that's, oh, yeah. I think that's such an important thing for people that want to be efficient. And most of us have a lot of stuff going on in our lives. So we want to be efficient. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an important thing to, to think about and trying to kind of narrow in on those skills. And here's one thing to, to think about that often is one of those mind blown things for a lot of people. If you're moving well throughout your day, it doesn't need to be more than 10 minutes. It shouldn't be because I shouldn't have to warm up for 30 minutes if I'm moving well all the other hours before I get to the gym. Mm -hmm. But the problem is too many people, they just sit behind a desk and they don't move or they get up and they sit in their car and they go to work and they sit down and they don't ever move throughout the day. And then they wonder why they're so stiff and need 45 minutes of foam rolling before they ever pick up a barbell. You know, if you move well throughout your day, even getting up and going for a walk and then sitting in a deep squat for a little bit and maybe not, you know, sitting for eight hours, let's stand and, you know, shift your weight a little bit. It's going to help you move better when you get to the gym. Mm-hmm. That is such a good point. And it's going right back to that idea of let's just figure out how do we integrate movement into our days? How do we get in the habit of just moving often? And yeah. I think that, um, I think it's a good indicator that maybe that's not happening enough for you. If you do require so much prep just to get, you know, get yourself moving well enough to, to do your set or whatever it might exactly. be. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. How would you characterize your own personal approach to training? Uh, my personal approach to training is, uh, continuing to try to hang on to that last little bit of weightlifting that I currently have ab- available. Um, basically, um, I, I lift what I can lift. I try to feel good, but I still love weightlifting. I mean, even though I don't compete anymore, I still do clean and jerks and snatches every single week. And I'm constantly like, I'm texting back and forth with Chad Vaughn, who's a two-time Olympian. I do a lot of blog writing with him. I'm like, Chad, like, if you see this jerk, I'm drifting a little bit to my left. What are you thinking that I need to, what, what's a technique cue that you like to use? So I'm like, I'm constantly tinkering with my own lifting. And um, thankfully I've now been able to build my own gym in my garage. So I don't really have to go very far to jump into a gym uh, if it's on a weekend or anything uh, like I was before back when I was in Kansas city. So um, yeah, my own personal approach is lift heavy, lift smart, and it'll take you a long ways. Love it. What is it that you love so much about weightlifting? Why do you think you're still holding on to it so oh, hard? Man. I, it's one of those sports where hard work pays off and you can see the fruits of your labor. Uh, I think too often in um, team sports, it's, it's difficult because you have so many different uh, 
uh, components to succeeding. Um, you know, in football, you're depending on the other 10 guys that are on the field with you at that time. And the other ones that are just, you know, playing offense, defense, special teams, you got everyone together, you know, playing soccer growing up, you got all the other guys on the field. Baseball is a little bit more individual, but still a Mm -hmm. team aspect to a sport weightlifting. It's just you out there, you and the barbell one-on-one, you spend a lot of time alone with the barbell in the gym. And it's one of those things that, um, you can always get a little bit better. And it's the small details that really matter. And then all of a sudden, I mean, the only thing I can compare it to is, you know, if you hit like a line drive or a home run in baseball and it's just effortless, that's what it feels like when you have like this amazing lift snatcher cleaning jerk is it's definitely not effortless, but the weights fly. And just all of a sudden something that you've been grinding for, for such a long time, the smoothness that a lift comes with weightlifting is something unlike any other sport because I mean, powerlifting, yes, you're grinding and those are hard lifts, but they're also very slow mm-hmm. in weightlifting. It's just this magical mixture of strength, power, athleticism, speed, and amazing precision technique all wrapped into one. So you get all these different combinations because you can get these amazing, amazing, uh, you know, powerlifters who are super strong and you tell them to do a snatch and they'll fail yet. You'll get, you know, a, uh, a track athlete who's extremely powerful, but yet can't necessarily have the technique or strength to do an Olympic lift and the Olympic lift together. It's just, it's one of those things that, uh, I'm constantly trying to work against and, uh, imperfect. It's so fun to put so much time and thought and effort into something and then see yourself get better at it. I yeah. think that is inherently very rewarding, that process of knowing I put in this work and even if it's a tiny change, I think that, I think it's very exciting and I can see why, why that would motivate you so much. Yeah. Have you, have you always been a very detail oriented person? Uh, when it comes to certain things, <laughs> uh, you ask my wife, I'm not very detail oriented in a lot of things, but uh, when it comes to weightlifting and squat university, uh, those are, those are my passions in life. So um, I, I can be very detail orientated about sort of some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> cool. What is something about you that might surprise the listeners? I'm a massive nineties, early two thousands hip hop fan. No way. Oh yeah. Favorite yeah. artist. Oh gosh. That's tough. I mean, I could list off the top of my head. I listen constantly to Jay-Z, Tupac, Biggie, Wu-Tang Clan, um, I mean, anyone like that, it's constant replay. Uh, the best way to wake up in the morning, personally, I think when you're getting in the showers to put on some nineties hip hop and, you know, blast, that's a great way to wake up in the morning. Personally. That is amazing. Is your wife a fan too? Not as much. Uh, <laughs> well, she is she, now, I bet. <laughs> she, she, toler- she tolerates it, but, yeah. uh, not as much. Yeah. She's that's more of like, she's more of like a Taylor Swift girl. <laughs> mm, I see. Yeah. That's a little different. Yeah. yeah just a little bit. <laughs> Is that what you train to as well? Uh, yeah, I, I would say like 90s hip hop is definitely some of my favorite to train to. I also not a huge rock fan, but uh, Rage Against the Machine is also, I mean, I could listen to them all day long too. <laughs> I love it. I want to switch gears just a tiny bit and okay. ask you a little bit more about Squat University and kind of okay. the brand that you've built. Yeah. Um, like I said, the value that you have on your blog, your podcast, your social media accounts is massive. It just seems to be filling this need of information that so many people need. And 
I, I mean this in the best way possible. A lot of it's quite simple, but I think simple oh, is like it, the ultimate it, sophistication. It's very simple. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. So what, like, how did you see the need that there was for this seemingly simple information and yeah. what inspired you to, to fill it? So I, I think there's two things. I think the first thing is I'm literally just living my life and in just talking to the world and how I know best. I mean, I'm literally the weightlifter who loves weightlifting, gets injured, needs help trying to speak to the world. Mm. And I so happen to also be a physical therapist who teaches people how to get out of pain and back to performance. So really it's just the mold of those just regurgitated out for the rest of the world, which is Squat University. So um, it's not that I necessarily saw a need, but I just wanted to start speaking to the world in which terms I know best. And that's the only thing I can do. And fortunately, it's something that a lot of people can also uh, recognize and say that they've also been living that type of life. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started off as a physical therapist, I would do a lot of these evaluations where I would ask people to squat and just time and time again, I was seeing people who are amazing athletes. I mean, running like a sub four, four forty, or bench pressing 500 pounds, squatting 800 pounds yet couldn't perform a basic looking body weight squat with shoes off. And there, I was seeing this issue and I'm like, gosh, people cannot perform a basic body weight squat. What's the issue here? And it sort of just dawned on me. I was having these deja vu like scenarios time and time again. And it was like I mentioned, the squat was sort of the fundamental building block that I feel like so many people have missed out on. And when you can rearrange that and get that squat back, a squat sets up a deadlift. A squat sets up a clean. A squat sets up a snatch. A squat sets up you bending down to pick up your grandkid. So it's one of those things. It's like, well, if we can get this, there's so many things that are now available to us. So I was like, well, We'll just call it Squat University. It sounds, sounds a little catchy and we'll just go from there. And I just started every single day just putting out as much free content as possible just to help other people in ways in which I have, you know, been injured in the past as well. And I just wanted to try to help as many people. So I would do things, literally, I would put up a post. It was literally just like a black background. And it said, do you need help with your squat? DM me. And then I would get like five DMs the first day. So I'd be on my day off and I'd just be messaging people back on the couch. Hey, John, uh, you know, send me a video of your squat. Oh, I see a hip shift here. Try this test. Send it back to me. And then the next week I did it again. And I got 40 DMs that day. And then the next week I did it again. I got 70 DMs. So now I'm trying to go back and forth with those 70 people plus those 40 people plus those eight people. And eventually I was in my DMs for like five, six hours every single day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is getting a little bit bigger. Yeah. So that's when I, you know, started just putting out as much content specific to those questions. Cause I'm like, well, I can't DM every single person, but if I can put up a question that had John's issue, maybe I can help all these other people that are having a hip shift as well. And mm -hmm. that sort of turned into what squat university is today developed out of such authenticity. I mean, it wasn't even really this like, yeah. yeah, this mission to, yeah, like you're saying to fulfill a need or to have this certain brand. It yeah. was just like, this is completely who you are. It seems yeah. like. I just wanted to help as many people as possible. And then um, it turned into, I, I'm a nerd for writing. I love writing. Um, and I wrote my first book, The Squat Bible. And I was like, well, 
you obviously need to have a platform to eventually sell a product. So this is getting into more of the, like the business of running Squat University. So I was like, well, let me just put out as much free content as I can. Basically the entire book, if you wanted to read it, it would be in thousands of blog posts and Instagram posts and stuff like that. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to have one thing. If anyone wants something that's like everything packed into one at this time and to give it to people, then I, you know, developed my first book and now I've got my second book coming out in January. So it's, things are continuing to grow, but I feel like I'm doing things in a way that I can be proud of because I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to steal people's money. I'm not trying to hide behind a 999 pay window that, you know, you can't get access to me unless you want to pay. And I wanted to be able to have a few products if people really wanted to dive into uh, things more and learn as much as possible. But I, I still wanted to be First and foremost, I'm an education brand that is here to help people with as much free content as possible. And I think that's something that uh, is not often seen on the internet today. Definitely not. And I got to tell you, that is definitely why I'm such a big fan. There's none of the the underlying salesy <laughs> bullshit. Like, it's just it. not there. It's just It's just like, yeah, you giving out really good, solid info. So I, I love it. it. Awesome. Aaron, thank you very much for this. This has been a blast welcome. to get yeah. to chat with you and get to know you a little bit. Is there anything, do you have any final words that you want to share with people before we sign off? Um, I mean, the most simple thing is move well first, then lift some big ass weight after, you know, that's really the, uh, the motto, I guess, of Squaw University. I love it. Awesome. And um, if people want to find you, we've alluded to a couple of things, but could you just give them kind of maybe your website and yeah. your social media handles? So website, simple squatuniversity.com. Social media handles across everything is just at Squat University. So uh, let's see, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. Um, TikTok. Everything. TikTok. I'm not doing any funny dancing. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, but there's there's some content on TikTok too. You got you got to reach the young kids too. Good for you. <laughs> I have not I have not made the dive into that world yet, but I know it's uh I know it's the future of social media apparently. So I love it. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. And for everyone listening, I will get everything linked up in the show notes. I'll link up the um, the video, the YouTube video that you were alluding to as well, so people can find their own personalized squat stance, and we can get people moving a little bit better. So Perfect. thank you very much. This has been great. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Feel? If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them all so much. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about on How Do You Feel? All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.